Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Welcome back to the Soft Life Baddies. I am so excited to bring you today's guest episode with none other than Kendra Austin. Kendra is a model, writer, and community builder, and she's also the founder of Third Cup, which is a collective dinner party for women and femmes healing through friendship in New York City. And she's also the creator of the Realist Oracle deck as well. Kendra's on a journey of radical softness, wander and wonder, connection through intentional relationships and community through exploring her creativity without bounds. Let's welcome Kendra to The Soft Life. Welcome to The Soft Life. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So tell us who you are. Describe where you are right now in this moment. Um, Yeah, let the girls know. got it. Uh, My name is Kendra Austin. I'm a Brooklyn-based content creator, writer, model, um, soon-to-be author. And I'm also a community builder, um, the founder of Third Cup which is a women and femmes collective um, founded on the intention to help women facilitate healing and vulnerable adult friendships. Um, Other than that, we love to read. We love to eat. I'm in my living room right now trying to take, you know, a breath in the middle of my day and it's a perfect space to do it. Thank you so much for being here, Kendra. So for those who don't know, Kendra is an amazing, and I would say multi-hyphenate, you do so many things. And I also want to kind of talk about human design a little bit, because I feel like you're a manifesting generator, but we'll get, okay, that makes sense. I am am as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So here we are, you know, just doing 18 things at the same time, like we always do and flourishing. That's exactly right. But yet, you know, at the same time, you know, Sometimes just hanging off to, by the hinges. By the thread of a needle, right, literally. Right. So we're trying our best, but we're here. Um, <laughs> first of all, want to know your origin story in your own words. You know, you can define that however you see best fit, but would love to hear from you in your own words. What is your or- origin story? Who is Kendra Austin? Mm-hmm. Where? What places? What cities what people remind you most of yourself and where you come from um i love this question i also love the fact that you initiated the conversation based on human design because i think that the real kind of switch for me in my life into feeling aligned with my journey really came with actively understanding my design without having the language if that makes sense so um I was born and raised in San Diego, but I was a military brat for, you know, the first little bit of my life. And then um, I moved to a suburb of DC, Northern Virginia. When I was like in middle school, I graduated high school there. And then I moved to Texas, to Austin, to go to the University of Texas, hook them. Um, and there I felt that I was confronted with my tendency for force. 
because I grew mm. up in um in a relatively volatile environment. Um I didn't have a relationship with my dad growing up and my like surrogate parent who was his mother um passed away when I was like 11, 12. Um and my mother remarried to somebody who was quite violent. So I was really um, using overachieving in my younger years and my school years as a way to find escape and to find a sense of control. And I'm talking every version of overachieving. I was a two-sport athlete. Um, I was at the top of my class. I was class president. You know, all of the things. And... Um, yeah, I applied to like 30 schools and I got into pretty much all of them except for the one that I cared about, which was Stanford. I didn't get the program that I wanted to. And at that point, I just like, I actually, I think that initiated an early life crisis for me because up until that point, I'd been able to get everything that I thought I wanted, um, yeah. which, you know, it's 18. It's very young. It, that's very, very young. But at the time it, you feel so old you feel so aged you feel the the passage of time it feels like everything matters um and for me that really did matter in a deeply emotional way because it felt like if I didn't have this goal I wouldn't be able to get out of the volatility that I was raised in and you know in context I also was at that time processing being you know black a fat black queer woman in a predominantly white space and neighborhood and schools um, and again, this was my, my means for control. So when I kind of realized that wasn't going to happen for me in the way that I thought, once I decided to go to the University of Texas and was in the South for the first, the true, true South for the first time, I was confronted with another layer of a lack of control, which was systemic oppression in a way that I had not seen before. Mm. And I felt every identity so intensely in the fact that I would not win this game because that's not how systemic oppression works. And I also realized yeah. I didn't want to play a game at all, right? And yeah. so I kind of had, like I said, this, what I call my early life crisis. Um, I spent a lot of my college years in a haze, um, partially because I was literally hungry. I spent the first two years of my uh, college education really in the gym. I lost like over 130 pounds. Um, it re really in a space of like self-hate, but that's again, my, my need for control and feeling like, you know, I didn't, I probably wasn't going to go to law school, like the way that I expected. I probably wasn't going to have the partnership or the friends that I thought I would have. Um, because again, that would involve playing a game that I didn't really think I wanted to play anymore. And so, yeah, I spent the majority of my college years really in this kind of state of confusion. And then when I graduated college I came to this juncture where I was like I have choices to make because I'm not going to go to law school I have this ancient boyfriend who like truly at the time was so lovely I don't want to I want to put some respect on his name but he was useless he was useless to me in that he was he was not for me long term you know and I was in Austin very much a big fish in a small pond I knew I saw these big dreams to affect change in people um, to create a sense of home and belonging for people. And I didn't really know what that looks like. But I started to kind of have what I'm realizing now were like my like Raven Simone visions of a future. Yes. But it was actually tucked away in my inner child and in the recessed memories of my past of me sitting yeah. in my bedroom and drawing 
and reading my Teen Vogue magazines that just covered the walls of my room. And I had like a collection of prints on my wall that were all like the major fashion capitals of the world. So it was like New York, Paris, London, and um, Milan. And I remember just looking at those and being like, I'm going to be there someday. And so I had these visions at like 23 years old yeah. being like, well, if you don't know what you want to do, like, let's just go back to what you know, what you thought you couldn't have. Yeah. Cause I didn't see myself in those stories in Teen Vogue. I didn't see myself, um, being anything but like serious because to me it was serious at the time so um I just kind of like tapped back into the internet my old tumblr bitch ways started sharing my stories (laughs) you know coming out of like diet culture and fat phobia yeah and kind of sharing those stories really publicly online at the time would have been like the bopo or like body positive community And I felt community Mm -hmm. in a way that I hadn't in a really long time. I realized that there were people already telling those stories. There were women, fat black women, um, fat black trans folks waiting to welcome me when and and if I was choosing them. And so Mm. I just decided to choose them. And I decided to choose that storytelling and choose that environment and transform my environment in a way that I couldn't in my physical reality while I was still like in the South and really challenged with my interpersonal relationships And I let that lead me to the conclusion I needed to move to New York and I needed to pursue being a creative and a multi-hyphenate in whatever way that meant for me. And that was when I switched, I think, into my design where I stopped becoming obsessed with what that looked like. And I decided I was going to respond to my environment. So I actually didn't have this like huge grand image. I was like, so Paloma is body hero now. Let's see if I can do that. Um, I know that there's a space for me on the internet and I've always felt comfortable there. Let's see if I can do that. And if I just move to a place where I have as many opportunities to respond to my environment as possible, maybe that'll work for me. Wow. Wow. I mean, first of all, I think it's so impactful and so beautiful that you listen to your inner child. And honestly, so we we met in person for the first time a few weeks yeah. ago, right? And I I can just you, I can sense that your inner child is very much alive within you. And, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, there's obviously there's their aura, their energy, but that inner child, that light is so in you. And I think the fact that your inner child was guiding you throughout your, your late teens, your early twenties, college, even right now to this present moment and choosing the community that you felt safest in despite you growing up in such a volatile environment, that is really speaks to your intuition as a person. And I just want to applaud you for that because that's really, really, really hard to do. And the fact that you mastered it and alchemized it is incredible. Um, And I also think the first time I came across you and your content, I think was also on Tumblr um, and then throughout Instagram I know that you've been one of our muses on Saudi Baddies for a while, <laughs> probably before we ever came into contact. I was like, she's a muse. She's our, one of our muses. So this is divine alignment. And, you know, since you kind of walked us through this journey of, you know, you responding to your environment, which I think is such a great and in in interesting way of describing your your upbringing, your kind of realizations as a young adult. 
when did you realize or when did you know that you were on a healing journey? Because mm. you talk about healing in a lot of different ways. You talk about healing within yourself, within your body, yes. within your family, within your friendships, your community. So when did you realize you're on this healing journey and that you're also on this healing journey collectively with other folks? Mm, I love that question. Um, I think that came in phases for me. Mm. I feel that the first indication that I was on healing journey um, happened once I started to tap into like divine self-trust in the decision to move here and it working in my favor um, in ways that weren't hyper-physical, right? So like I moved here with $3 yeah. and a dream, which is the classic <laughs> story, right? And um, I mean, I lived off of like hostess cakes for like the first like two years that I lived here. <laughs> so it wasn't like it was this immediate return externally. Yeah. But inside, I felt a sense of purpose that I did not know was possible because it existed without control force friction um self-sacrifice demand and that was all the words i just listed were like the altar that i prayed to for the majority of my life because i felt like i had to Mm. um and you know when you step into flow that calls forth a lot of fear because your value system changes. I realized that like there were all these metric systems for achievement that I wasn't involved with anymore. And if I wasn't working toward these achievements, then who was I? And I think that that was the first initiation to a healing journey, right? And dipping more deeply into, well, who instituted those, those achievements, right? Who instituted those metric systems? Um, whether that be white supremacy, the voice of my mom, the voice of my grandmother, the voices of my, you know, abusers past, like there are just so many things that surface in that process of changing your value system to one that is intrinsic to you is your own personal value system that, you know, just you have to face. And so I think that was like the first recognition of a healing journey. And then, uh, once I started once I moved here, I would say probably like a solid like year into moving here, I started to like actually start to date for the first time in my life, like actively date mm-hmm. because I had grown up in predominantly white spaces and had really, I think existed on the fringe of desirability. Mm. I just simply took myself out of the game. I would friend zone myself. I didn't really attempt to date. And in fact, I thought it was greater than dating, right? I was like, I don't know what these hoochies are doing. Cause I'm going to get my bag. <laughs> I'm going to get my bag. I'm going to mind my business. I'm going to get my degree. Um, and that's also like what my mom told me to do. Right. So I had internalized that's this. What, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, once I started to date, then I was facing my demons for real. Mm. That's uh, the unfortunate part. Um, about love is that it calls you to love yourself. And if you don't, you're going to face hate as a mirror. And I was dating a lot of people who dead ass hated me, (laughs) hated me. Um, And I wonder why I was like, I'm so sweet. I'm so giving. I'm so all those things, but I had 
severely porous boundaries and I was faced with other people who also had porous boundaries. The only difference was like, I was the codependent and they were the narcissist. I was the giver. They were the taker, but we was both evil twin, evil twin. Hmm. So I think that that was a second initiation um, into my healing journey and realizing that I was deserving of having it all. And there was still work to be done in order to have all of those things. Wow. I would love for you to talk more if, you know, as you feel led to, I'd love for you to kind of talk more about how and why dating is such a trigger sometimes for that aha moment. I also had that as a major trigger on my healing journey um, years ago when I was dating in New York, which is a sport, might I add, an Olympic sport. Olympic. Olympic. So... (laughs) I got I got the gold medal right here. <laughs> exactly. It's literally an Olympic sport, right? So I mean for for me back when I was dating and single and you know doing the whole thing, it was also really challenging for me. I also was confronted with a lot of my like inner demons honestly and like that's probably when I did the most shadow work I've ever done in my life, you know? Can you talk more to why you think that is? And also, I think a lot of young people, especially young um, women and young folks in general who are living in a city or living wherever they are living and struggling to find that comfort with dating and opening up to other people, can you kind of talk more about why you think that is? your lens absolutely um from my personal experience I feel that with friendships and community care we allow space for us and the other person to be human in all stages of life we allow space for the inner child the inner teenager and the adult to come and not everybody does it so seamlessly and it's not easy all the time but we can imagine the reality in which the people that we love and in platonic love will have space to change. We allow room for that. And I think that within romantic partnership, because of the way that it's been exalted and kind of dangled in front of our faces, particularly I think as women and black women, as something that's like intangible to us, it immediately triggers unworthiness and therefore the wounded child comes forward. And therefore the wounded child is asking for a parent. And if you have not unlocked your own inner parent who can assuage that inner child and remind them that we're already at home, you're going to try to find it up under somebody else. Oof. Oof. Period. Mm. Yeah. You know? And and, and I, yeah. I experienced that tenfold. And you know what? At the time, I was real hard-headed with it, too, because... I had lived this full life of feeling like I was doing everything alone. So I was like, you know, once I got into therapy and really also outside of that, to note, it's like the work really happens outside of that room. Right. So once I just actually started initiating myself into the work, I was kicking and screaming at this idea that like I was relinquishing power. Like I was asking somebody to save me. I was like, what do you mean? I've been doing everything by myself. But that statement in itself kind of exists on this pendulum swing of waiting for somebody to come and save you. Right. Mm. Because then you're sitting there thinking like somebody, one day somebody's going to come and create ease for me. And 
that sense of belonging will make all of this worthwhile, like all of this work worthwhile. And in the meantime, it's like you're, you're ignoring the platonic love that's around you. That's begging to be poured into you. You're ignoring your body, your mind, your spirit, all of these things that are begging to pour into that ultimately will relieve you of that like insatiable desire of need to find belonging within romantic partnership in that way. So that you can actually be seen and witnessed by another adult human being for real. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was really challenging yeah. me to accept that about myself because it just felt like my reality was like such like in conflict of that, like damsel in distress or my image of damsel in distress. But I realized the true damsel in distress in me was somebody who was unwilling to receive and who felt the need mm. to prove love and or my worthiness in love. Um, and yeah, I think romantic relationships are just going to challenge us in a way that allows space for the inner child to exist. But like, if that inner child was like regularly abandoned or ignored, or like even in the most loving of environments, just simply not loved in the way that you need to, they're going to have to go through a few duds and through really challenging relationships just in mirror. And I think giving ourselves grace to do that um, would also make the journey a bit easier. I think if I didn't condemn myself so much to the expectation of perfection in the same way that I did like a job, like my career, that, that's the yeah. issue too, right? I think a lot of us picture yeah. ourselves in dating as though like we can just check these boxes and check these lists. Like there's not somebody else on the other end of that who's living, breathing, moving, mutable. And that will have great relationships. And that's why it's so much more challenging. It's like, you can't, you're not going to get a gold star. The gold star is having a yeah. partnership that feels good to you. And it's like, that's not going to feel yeah. fulfilling or exciting all the time. Sometimes it's going to feel really like challenging and hard. Um, and I think the recognition that that's not the same thing as being violated, abused, iced out, withheld, that is also yeah. a struggle. Yeah. Thank you for, sh thank you for highlighting that and really expanding that experience. And because I know, you know, myself included, so many people can relate to that. Like, why is it so easy for me to, you know, make friends or why is it so easy for me yeah. to get this job or get this opportunity? But it's like in this space, this is so difficult. And with all of the layers, all of the nuances that you just shared, I think you just spoke to that so beautifully. So I really appreciate you honing in on that. And speaking of love and platonic love, you have created a beautiful, beautiful community space, Third Cup, which is based in Brooklyn, New York. And I would love for you to talk more about your inspiration behind Third Cup, its origin story, what you have intended to create with the space, and what we can expect from Third Cup from you um i love it third cup is my favorite thing to talk about these days yes uh, it's been <laughs> it's been such a learning opportunity for me because you know it's like in in theory and study we understand third places we understand this idea that human connection or fulfillment is going to be found outside of work and home um in a third yeah. place where we're centering community and a sense of belonging and um, mutual aid and non-transactional relationships. But once you're actually in the praxis, it's you remind like you're reminded about how much 
white supremacy and individualism and like tough girl independence you still got in you and being able to relinquish Mm -hmm. that for the collective energy to really flourish um has been a huge challenge for me but at the baseline I was motivated to create third cup because and I I find this is true with all really really um purposed base projects is like I was solving an internal problem externally yes I was like I'm coming up on 30 and I feel like (laughs) I'm not seeing the like earnest and sweet and vulnerable and also like kind of grown and sexy environments that I want to exist in it's not that it didn't exist at all it's I just wanted more of them and there were examples of community building like you and like Eve who runs High Club and you know what I'm saying there are there are people out here supper club in LA like there are people out here doing it and um I was like they're on the money and there just needs to be more of that yeah Um, there needs to be more space for us to like actually really connect I think particularly after the severe isolation uh, at the beginning of mm-hmm. COVID, not only are all of us just starved for con- physical connection, starved that physical and tactile experience of talking to somebody and knowing that they are seeing you, we also have redefined what connection means for us. If we, if we did yeah. what we're supposed to be doing in that time, right? And I know for yeah. me, like I really defined um, and redefined over and over again in that time period what connection and what fulfillment actually meant for me. And now I was ready to create a space for, for myself um, to reinstate that and to see what happens with the, with those new discoveries and also to allow other people, you know, to, to join me in that eternal feast, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the concept just kind of came from this, from this hunch that there was a need for it. And um, just simply wanting to see what relationships, you know, could be had by creating dinner parties and other common interest events for the girls to get together and see each other enjoy and like to be probed into true intimacy. So, yeah. you know, with our dinner parties, which are like our hero event, um, you know, I curate the, I have some slight curation of the conversation um, that's kind of coursed out based on graduated intimacy. And that way, like, you know, when you leave, you know a bit more about this person. You may even the people that are directly in your life. And if you guys are really rocking with each other and you have this common interest, like the hope is like, it's like those hinge ads, like delete us after, you yeah. know, like would yeah. love to see you again. Yeah. But like, as long as you found one or two friends that you really connected with, like I've done my job here. And even after the first event in December, I mean, the girls created group chats. Some of them were going out to brunch and going out to running club together. Um, One of the community members, Chrissy King, she published a book last month and she came to the first two events of this year. And at that event, there were probably a dozen girls who were from their cup who showed up. And to me, that's really the, you know, just proves the power of having an authentic and really intentional space for connection is that everybody really is about that action. You know, it's not like at the club or at the bar, or even at these media events, Yeah, you know, where you see somebody yeah. and it's kiss, kiss, but because yeah. of the nature of those environments, there are walls. So even this most sweetie pie of angels, you may not see the best of them. Yeah. So I just wanted to allow, right. you know, 
to foster a space where everybody can kind of drop the mask and be honest yeah. about loneliness and be honest about the need for, for belonging. It's really amazing what happens in those spaces. They're so sacred. They're so sacred. And I mean, if you've either facilitated one of these, like, you know, both of us have, or um, have gone to one, you know what intimacy lies there and how important it is to have in-person spaces like this. So I'm so, so, so happy and so proud of you you for creating Third Cub. Definitely check it out, y'all. I will obviously leave everything in the show notes um, so that you can follow, support, engage, join Third Cup because it is a beautiful, beautiful community space and so needed, especially in New York. Because although New York is so dense and so densely populated, it can also feel very lonely, totally. especially if you're coming from, you know, right. somewhere outside of the city yeah. so i mean you I know love, we're, we're love, all searchers love, we're all searchers we're all wanderers yeah. that's what draws a soul yes. to new york so a lot of it feels that way we're like oh is everybody just kind of searching like is anybody found yeah so this is a space to be found coming into the summer we're also having a lot of specialty groups we're gonna have a running club we're gonna have monthly park hangs we're gonna have a, a monthly dance benefit class like there's just gonna be a lot of chances to meet up yeah um prior to may all of our events have been like hero events that were ticketed but moving into the summer there will be a lot more casual you know open-ended opportunities to get involved with the community so um i look forward to seeing all of you there yeah i definitely will be pulling up so what and what and we'll be having one (laughs) and we'll be having one period period yeah stay tuned y'all stay tuned Ooh, i'm so excited um So I recently attended your panel discussion that you hosted um, last month. Wow, that was in March, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Women's History Month. Um, Beautiful, uh, candid uh, panel discussion with Taylor Camille and um, an amazing mental health um, professional um, that also joined the conversation and had so much insight about digital uh our digital presence and mental health and so i really you know i really really loved a lot of what you shared during that panel discussion about how black women in particular sh- in particular show up online and in these digital spaces mm-hmm. and i would love to know what is your relationship like right now with social media and what is your relationship right now being someone who creates content for a living you're self-employed right. You know, you are, you show up online, you know, obviously because you have so much insight to share, but also because this is your full-time job, you know, um, I can say for myself really quickly that it's difficult balancing the two, but I would (laughs) love to hear from you how your relationship is with social media right now. Um, I mean, I can echo that it is very challenging for me. Right now, I find myself having to reinstate some boundaries. Mm. Um, several months ago, my therapist recommended getting like a physical, like analog alarm clock and leaving my phone downstairs. Um, I did go away. I I did wander away from that habit, <laughs> and I'm trying to reinstate that. So that's been mm-hmm. an important journey for me. It's very helpful because I find myself waking up and going to bed overwhelmed so often. And it's because that's just 
when I'm probably scrolling the most ferociously. Um, it reminds me of this concept that I read about a couple years ago that's called like time protest or something, sleep protest. And it's, do yes, you know what I'm talking I've about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's basically this yep. like concept where it's based in like anxiety where like when you feel that time is passing you by or like you don't have enough time yeah. and you're really anxious about it, you'll like linger around sleep yeah. and extend not going to sleep in order to kind of reclaim time back. Yeah. Um, yep. And so I've, I've found myself in the last month or so kind of slipping back into that habit. So I'm trying to, to fix that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in general, I think other than that, I feel relatively in flow as far as just like, I'm not posting when I don't want to post. And I think that that's something that's kind of shifted in the last like year or so. Like I don't feel forced to post. I will say that. Yeah. I am not chasing the algorithm anymore. I, I abandoned that. I abandoned that. Yeah. I have trusted that whoever my shit needs to find, they'll find it. And that's on my personal accounts. That's on the third cup accounts. Like I, again, it's like we mentioned at the beginning of this, it's like, we're not solving world hunger here. Like, I'm just trying to help yeah. the girls have a bit of fun. Yeah. So I don't want to feel beholden to this like fake machine, this fake virtual machine that I'm always going right. to be on the losing end of if I don't have to be. It's like, I, I have to trust that what I'm sending out there is going to be found and returned. Um, so I will say that's a huge thing for me. It's like the second I check myself, even thinking about, making content in connection to what's trending or whatever i i nix that and again a lot of that yeah. is kind of in recognition and deference to um my human design style because i realize that also i don't get the return of that like as a manifesting generator yeah. i do have to wait for that call yes what's your profile i'm a you five one two four Okay. Okay. I'm a five one. I'm not. Sh- I'm not familiar with five one profile. Um, I'm a two four. Oh, but I love that. Give us the tea. Yeah, sure. I, I feel like you know, human design is like it's picking up its she you know is. momentum and people. You know, she's 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 definitely doing a nice stroll. I don't know. If she's sprinting right. just yet, but she's there. She's on track. No, she is. Can you tell us a little bit more? Because I think it's first of all it's beautiful that we're both the same human it. design type as a manifesting generator. And, you know, we have the multifacetedness, we are mutable, we are, you know, flexible, adaptable, all those things. We wait for the calling. We wait to feel inspired, but tell us more about how that impacts your creativity and your creative process, mm-hmm. your, you know, how you move through um, your day to day. Right. Um, you know, it's so funny because I think that that's also really connected to my spiritual journey. Like all that's yeah. really connected for me where I have started to understand that like things that I feel the need to like an urgency to initiate urgency in itself is an indication to me that I am triggered by something or like I'm coming from a space of lack. And that would be true if I didn't know my human design, but the fact that I've now come to understand it a bit more I realized like 
even spiritually, it doesn't feel good to me to be in a quickened pace. I want to feel like I can be fully present and enjoy the opportunities that come to me. Um, whether that be even just being like, you know what? I need to close my laptop right now. It's stupid. I'm going to close my laptop. I'm going to go on my little hot girl walk. I'm going to pick up my nice little bevy, my favorite bevy. And I'm going to go. So watermelon juice. That's my favorite. Lemonade. You know, I love the watermelon lemonade. <laughs> exactly. Shout out to the watermelon lemonade at Bagel World. That's exactly it. I'm going to pick up my favorite yes. bevy. And I'm going to go sit on the park bench and see what happens. And Mm. I've had so many soul enriching connections, relationships, conversations that have come with just responding to my need and my desire for like wonder um, and wonder. So I feel like I creatively, I try to create as much space as possible for wonder of wonder because that's when I have a chance to respond to my environment, to respond to the call to action. Um, also, like as a writer, I you know take from the school a la Bell Bell Hooks, and she talks about mm. like in one of her essays she talks about the creative woman and how she like prays to reverie and how like living your life is how you become a storyteller. And I view myself creatively in that way, where I picture my writing or what I share online or like, you know, I'm, I'm getting into like screenplay and even just like the creativity of community, all of that is in response to just simply living my life, opening up a chance to discuss things that I'm excited about and waiting for people to be like, Oh, like I want to do this, you know? Yeah. And even just yeah. like the way that third cuff is expanding recently, it's come from me just letting people say, Hey, I want to do this. So like tomorrow we're doing a make your own pasta dinner and it's because a girl who came to the first third cup event has decided to leave her job, which is my favorite thing to watch people do (laughs) and, um, you know, initiate a career in leading pasta making classes. And I was like, well, that's perfect. She reached out to me and she was like, Hey, like, would you want to do a class with the girls? And I was like, that's great. Um, yeah. That. And it, to me, that's just like such a testament to the cyclical nature of, again, just the intention and reverie and allowing yourself to be present experience is then like, rather than like forcing my April programming, I kind of just let it come to me. Um, yeah. and I find that those are the events that end up being most fruitful and fun. It really is like, is that organic? Is. I think it's, it's for a lot of people, like, I mean, it, I think it depends on your, who you are, your personality, you know, what your strengths are, your weaknesses. But I think, especially as a manifesting generator, like, similarly, Saudi Baddie's origin story came from me sitting at a dead-end job at my desk, like, while my coworkers were in the back, like, talking about nothing. And I was like, I'm starting this right now. Like, I'm literally starting this. I'm going home, so creating a website, like, you know, and I just felt like that momentum, like, grow, grow, grow. And it's like, it's that simple when you listen to that calling, it is truly that simple and organic and the alignment follows that simple. It's, it is a spiritual practice. Like I I always look at creativity as an extension of spirituality and your spiritual practices, just manifesting in a, in a way that people can see and that's visible. And I love that you have been listening to that calling and we're seeing we're literally just seeing the the fruits of that that's that's what it is you know 
So I love, I love this. And very, very excited for everything that's in store for Third Cup, for, you know, what you've created also, your Oracle deck. Can you talk more about that? And yeah, that is amazing. I would love to know what sparked the inspiration behind you creating this deck and totally what some of your your muses were. Yeah, totally. Let's get into it. Um, so yeah, I'm publishing the real the realist oracle, um, finding magic in the mundane. It's gonna be published through Chronicle Books in July, July 18th. Um, it is available for pre order now anywhere where you buy books. Um, I recommend Bookshop, independent bookshop. Um, but yeah, honestly. I, one of my hyperfixations as an ADHD shoddy, um, <laughs> in 2020, while I was in the, the gut, the gut, the seamy gut of my first spiritual awakening was decks. I just became obsessed with them. I now own probably over 40 of them. I just love them so much. I love the artwork. I love the fact that I could tell the connection that the author had to the work and how much that transformed the experience of using them, whether it was for better, worse, or neutral. Um, and I loved the intentional choices that were created to define meaning, meaning for the reader. Um, and those were all really special to me. With that being said, I found this limitation in the most popular decks in that they were all very much giving like Pokemon medieval pagan energy. (laughs) And that's truly not a problem, but um, I just like was curious. It like, you know, especially with Oracle and specific tarot is a, a very old language. And in that way, you actually have to study it in order to get it. And then you define your relationship for yourself with your own cards and the way that you read and your guides. But the study itself is what it is. Um, but with Oracle, it's like there's so many opportunities for interpretation. I was like, this is a choice that there are no black people here. There are no fat people here. There are no queer folks. You know what I'm saying? I was like, where is the certain certain genetic quoi? Yeah. Um, and so I just created it. That was it. I was like, I want something that's, I think everything should be accessible. That's my big Aquarius energy. I'm like, things, languages of all kinds that are not understood are useless. And to me, spiritual languages should be created for understanding and for mass understanding. So yeah, I just wanted something that the girls who didn't want to spend all of their time in the midst of this extreme spiritual awakening, like I was going through trying to find new languages and translate their lives into these tools. Like you should be able to take the tool off the shelf, look at it, create your relationship and go from there. So, um, you know, within the deck, there's somebody going to therapy. There's somebody walking into like a classic downtown terror reader. There's somebody on a dating app. There's somebody crying on the train. Um, there are just a lot of opportunities to see your life in 2023. And my illustrator and designer, Bria Benjamin, she and I actually went to college together. I've, I've loved her work for years. Um, so yeah. So when I got the chance to create the deck, I brought her on immediately. And it was also so spiritually kismet because she had just left her full-time job. 
so she had time which is what we needed for the 53 cards exactly <laughs> um and she just got it but what she always says is that within her artwork she loves to create characters that you know or or could know and so that i kind of pulled from that inspiration as well and that i wanted all the characters and environments to be in outfits everything to be people places things that you know or could know people that you love or could love um and honestly like a lot of our like visual inspirations we literally pulled from like instagram like our our mutual faves on instagram and tiktok and even just like i went to my local bakery and shot a picture of their like pastries together and i was like hey i want our indulge card to look like this you know, I like took pictures of somebody on the train. I was like, Hey, I want this to look, I want this person to look like this. Like I literally just took yeah. it from my environment. Yeah. I'm just, I'm pulling up this thread of like responding to your environment is like, that's that sounds game. like a major theme. That's such a major theme. And I love, I mean, does it bring you into the present moment? Like does responding to your environment always bring you back to the present what does that do intrinsically for you? Literally, as you called that out, I was thinking, I was like, wow, that would never be possible if I hadn't been present. Mm. So I think it's like, it's a cyclical relationship, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, who's first, the chicken or the egg? I think right. that my healing journey brought me to a place where I learned how to slow down, slow down, yeah, respond versus react let myself engage my feelings and the sensory experience um, in that allowed space for presence where I didn't think I could have it. Yeah. And then that created a chance to actually feel that, that sacral response, Mm -hmm. right. That like deeply lusty, sexual, hot, fun, like all of that, that comes in that. Like, I think, that I could not have had that experience without presence. And also it has fed into the ability to be present because I've seen the fruits and I've already bared the gifts. Mm. Right. And so that motivates me to practice presence as much as possible. And outside of the context of like, you know, the woo woo of it all and in physicality, it's like, I practice meditation. I practice breath work, you know, like these are things to active tools that I think, I'd love to see more black women and specific black women and fems be able to access because we've been so torn from slowed time and from a relationship with our bodies and the somatic experience. But to me, that's the gift is that we get to use the environments around us in the simplicity of the human experience to create stories and to be the storytellers that ultimately define our future together. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. And I know you just touched on self-care practices. Can you share three self-care and three community care practices that you love and live and breathe? Yes. yes. Speaking of breath work. <laughs> I love it. Um, yes. Self-care. Um, indulgence. I am a Taurus moon. So I'm going to say this. 
<laughs> I'm going to say this. It is tourist season. Exactly. And it is tourist season. I think one really yeah. defining self-care practice. Like I was going to be like journaling, breathwork, meditation. Those are all true for me. But I think in specificity, one of the defining self, self-care uh, practices that I have is indulgence. I love a sweet treat. I love a grounding. Like, I think that people really, really discount (laughs) the value of a nice little sweet treat. And a little something sweet. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So when I see that, I just mean literally, it doesn't have to be overindulgence, right? It's like, go buy a single flower at the store. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Go pick up a a single pack of your favorite candy go have you know what i'm saying go pick up a little midday diet coke you know what i mean that's a, a dollar, little something a little something yeah that's exactly it yeah. it's like yeah. to me that also just reinstates a connection to desire and my body at once and mm. those are things that i feel like i've been programmed to run away from desire you know i was programmed to run away from in virtue of delayed gratification and I think that yeah. reinstating that in my day where it's like, no, actually you can enjoy right now. Like I know that you have a lot of work to do, but that doesn't get in the way of reverie right now. So yeah. that's important. And then also again, the connection with the body is like, once you have that little, you know, you have that DC coarsening your veins, you're like, <laughs> I'm a new, I'm a new bitch. Like I'm so happy yeah. to be here in this body. Charged up. Exactly. So indulgence is one for me. A sweet treat is my number one self-care. Um, and then I think meditation for sure. And I want to emphasize that meditation for me comes in many forms. I do a lot of classic like seated, quiet, yeah. silent meditation or like hertz frequency meditation. But I also mm-hmm. meditate while cooking. And I'll put my phone away and I'll put, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I'll turn music off. And I'll just get in my zone. I also meditate by going on a walk. I think that can we talk about cooking really yeah. quickly? Because I think it was about a year or so ago I came across one of your TikToks and you were it look I think you were in a cabin, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You're in a cabin and you were preparing this meal with probably the most love and attention I've ever seen. And it 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 was it it stopped me in my tracks because it was with so much love that I was like, I want to feel like that when I'm cooking something. And it was so beautiful. And it almost made me emotional because I was just like the the amount of tenderness that you had in that moment, it was a meditation. And I, I would love for you to talk more about like, that moment in, in in particular or any moment that like really just has grounded you and it's clearly visible to the rest of us like that is that is a practice that is a spiritual meditative practice in itself yeah I I think in healing my relationship with food and diet and in my body I realized how much I love the practice of of cooking, of eating, of creating nourishment for myself and others. And it's so interesting because I know that there is something to be aligned when I can't find time for that. Like really recently, I found myself, you know, right now I'm creating a lot of community space. And so therefore mm-hmm. there's an extension from self. 
And I found myself being like, well, I don't have time for this. And that was a come to Jesus moment because I was like, no girl, we always have time for this. Like, this is how you pour out is if we pour in this way. Um, but yeah, I just love the process of creating sustenance and energy to, to feast on in whatever form that takes. And I realized that for me, food is just a physical extension of that. Um, and also I just love like a good meal, you know, like that's, I just, I just love a good meal. And I also grew up with, you know, bread from women who love to provide a great meal as, as well. And I think that in my healing and in my cycle breaking, there was a lot of rejection of things that I grew up around mm-hmm. and with. And that is one like thing I've taken into my new life in the worlds that I'm making today is that process because that's what I, that's where I watch the women in my life find solace. And so it often feels mm. like a connection an ancestral connection as well. Yes, I feel that. I feel that. And I love when you do share, it's amazing. And it's felt super felt. I mean, so much so that I'm remembering it like a year later. I was like, that hit home. That hit home. I'm shocked and it's and beautiful. I'm shocked and honored. Also, I do want to know, I was in a cabin. <laughs> I was in a cabin and I was there for a month. And I cannot under, it, that space cannot be undersold if you have the leisure and the space and the resources, like taking yourself away for even just a time to find quiet, Mm. it's necessary. Wow. Well, you already know I'm going to get those, those details from you. (laughs) of This magical cabin, because it's, it sounds, it sounds like the perfect environment and space for healing and, I love that. I love that. And it's beautiful that you are able to create that for yourself, but also share that with us too. And let us know that this is possible. Um, Because sometimes the, the, the thing that we need, the thing that's going to kind of quiet the noise and be what we need in the moment to just actually lean into softness is just an escape from the overstimulation of, of everything. Um, and yes so beyond obviously the amazing activations and experiential moments that you create with third cup as a form of community care because it is what are some other forms of community care that you love and practice on a regular basis um i love this question so a couple things is both offering and asking for help um, I listened to a super soul Sunday with Brene Brown in 2019 mm-hmm. that has stuck with me for a very long time. And she talks about how in her research, she found that the number one characteristic that human beings define as, um, a chance for trust, an opportunity for trust in relationships is when somebody is capable of asking for help. And I think Mm. so often we think that we establish it by offering help. Yeah. Um, So that is something that I have, you know, defined as 
a chance for community care is asking for help and also offering it regularly yeah. and and also usually yeah. in tandem so like if i find myself yeah. in a time where i have to ask for help a lot i'm gonna challenge myself to offer help in the same breath in the inverse so that's one example of community care and whatever you know whatever ways that means financial energetic you know asking somebody if they need to go on a walk if they need me to drop something off like those are all things that are important to me um also another version of community care that I think is really important is I have decided to pick a single cause and organization that I dedicate a morning or a day of my time to so in the last couple of years, um, I have regularly volunteered at North Brooklyn Angels, which is like a food bank here in, in the city. Um, and we service by, you know, offering hundreds of meals a day to the community. And that has been such a place of connection and joy for me. And also made me realize that like all problems cannot be solved globally. And I think that in yeah. specific right now, a, there's a lot of virtue signaling going on. And I, I will rarely ever speak yeah. negatively about the impact of the social media because I think it's boring, uh, apart from just the, the basic conversation that needs to be yeah. had. But I will yeah. say there's a lot of virtue signaling, and I think it's because people also feel helpless. And that's a horrible place yeah. to be, but media wants us to be there. It wants us to yeah. be helpless so we continue to buy things and we continue to live in the matrix. And I think that if we more young people felt that their time was, was best used in immediate and small ways towards the people that they see every single day at the grocery store or who they pass by at their train stop, um, mm-hmm. they would feel less despondent about the chance for a better yeah. future. And I feel, I've experienced that greatly by myself. It's like, as much as I would love to touch all the hearts in the world and I'm certain of my capacity to share widely that cannot diminish the value of being so active in your direct community. And there's so many people out there already doing it. Um, yeah. And, you know, like people are struggling and they have to work and they don't have a lot of time. But if you do have it and you find it a priority to make the time, I would always recommend actually quite literally showing up you know to your food bank to your local like mutual aid organization um yeah I think that those are like really important efforts that keep hope alive yes could not agree more cannot agree more I you know I would love to know what you would name this chapter of your life right now and also what softness means to you as a black I love that. Um, right now, I think this particular time in my life is defined by failing up. Mm. I have relinquished in a way that I could have never, not ever expected. Um, The obsession with perfection and with not failing and with playing it safe for the sake of not failing. Um, 
Uh, or not meeting an impossible expectation and letting that take me to that next level and the opportunities that I can't foresee as long as I um, maintain control. So I think surrendering to the opportunities to fail up definitely defines this time in my life. And to me, softness as a black woman I would say softness as a black woman is about self-trust I think there are so many reasons why we don't feel we can trust ourselves, whether it's yeah. in our careers, um, romantic partnership, establishing platonic yeah. friendship, um, creativity. There are so many reasons why we should not, where we believe we should not trust ourselves. And ultimately, I don't think any any of the gifts of life, including community care, which to me is like the real ultimate tier of softness, mm-hmm. is accessible if we don't trust our internal guidance and our inner knowing. Um, and we've defined a lot of those enemies to self-trust in all of the ways we defined as patriarchy, white supremacy, imposter syndrome, and all of those things are and will forever be true. And we have to believe that we're more than those things and that they exist and we will continue to expand. <laughs> Mic drop. Not me getting teary eyed. Honestly, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Wow. 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 So much love for you. Um, thank you so, so much for all of the insight you shared before you go though, before you go, we do have a rapid fire Ah! question. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. We have a rapid fire question based on, you know, all of the, all the facts, all the things, all the, Juicy goodness that we know about you and of you. Um, so are you ready? Yeah. It's easy. Five questions. Whatever comes to mind the first. All right. So first question. What is the most random hobby that you've ever tried? Pottery. Pottery. Okay. Ooh. We love pottery though. I love it. Um, okay. <laughs> Next question. What is your go-to comfort meal that you've cooked for yourself or for your loved ones? Short ribs. Is that what you were cooking mm-hmm. in the cabin? Okay. <laughs> Show was. <laughs> okay. Uh, best and favorite summer album? Chasing Summer by Sir. That? <laughs> repeat repeat in my dna and of course Tim's. literally in my dna and of course Tim's. yes yes 
Um, okay. This one, it, you can cheat if you need to, but what are the top five most used emojis that you have right like, now? Like, I would phone? definitely say this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I use this in real life and on here. That one for sure. Let's see what else is up. Thank you for letting me. And for me. anyone that's only listening, she just put the, the heart physical sign hand. with the, the, yeah, the physical exactly. hand. Exactly. And then the, this... <laughs> The salute. <laughs> the salute. The salute. The salute is on there in a big way. The heart eye emoji. Mm-hmm. The white heart. Okay. And then the one where it's kind of covering the eyes. <laughs> and then the Aquarius symbol is a, is a close six. Oh my god! Oh, that's like—is that not you in a nutshell? Is, is that like and the thing? Is they're all that's expressive. Be, okay. They're all expressive. The white heart is like spiritual shoddy. Yeah, the, yeah. The physical hand <laughs> heart is me, just for real. It's all yeah. And then honestly, the the I others are just dead it. ass. Probably what I comment on people's pictures. Like I, I'll hit the salute. <laughs> I'll hit the salute on anybody I see. The salute is undefeated. It's undefeated. It's so perfect. It's like, yeah. It's giving it's giving Cadet Kelly, but it's also giving I see you. 100% you know? exactly. And I pray to this altar babe more and more. <laughs> more. Oh my gosh. Okay, last question. What is your favorite tattoo of yours? Love um the heart of my my left butt cheek. Ooh. And also, I got this neck tattoo. It says, I know. What does it say? Period. It says, I know. Exactly. It's all of the zodiac signs have like an essence I statement. So like Taurus is I have because it's the sign of possession. Aries is I am because it rules the first house, which is the house of identity. And Aquarius yeah. is I know. Wait, I need to look this up. Yeah. This is okay. Wait, this is new. This is new to me. I'm a Sagittarius sun and a Scorpio moon and rising. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> you know that Scorpio moon and rising. Jump scare. Like, double homicide. But you know what? I love. expression of every single one of those things and i think that also makes sense why you're so great at interviewing and at hosting because that's that scorpio energy it's like the sag like gives you the opportunity for truth and for fun and for levity but your ability to get to the core of what somebody's saying is all of that thank you let's see hold on let's figure out the sagittarius while we're here i mean why not you know what i mean (laughs) I yeah I have to know okay let's see models of the zodiac Sagittarius I love this is I see ooh I be seeing and then Scorpio is I desire wow I love that I love I see I I resonate a lot with I see that might inspire I don't know something but I love that exactly I love that. I love that. So yeah, favorite tattoo is Kendra. Cheek or that. I I love this. I think like we got to know you on such a deeper level just through this conversation, and 
I'm just so excited for what's in store for the future, for this year, for this present moment. Can you share with us where we can find you, where we can keep up with you, where we can pre-order your The Realist Oracle deck and all the things? Yes. So you can find me <laughs> at Kendramaris on all platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can also find me at KendraAustin.com. You can find me at my newsletter, Come Home, um, which is KendraAustin.substack.com. And you can pre-order The Realist Oracle on any place you buy books. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, Books a Million, Bookshop, and then at your local bookstore in July. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here. Sending you all the love and I will see you Thank soon. Thank you so much, you too, doll. IRL. Exactly. I can't <laughs> wait. Thank you. To stay connected, join Sadie Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on sadiebaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, baddie.